Coming up on Harvard Chan this week in health, the dangers of sleep apnea among truck drivers and the new recommendation that could help cut down on crashes. Plus, major success in the fight against HIV, the African nation outpacing other countries, including the United States. And we're entering allergy season. We'll tell you the top five cities where allergy sufferers have it the worst. Hello and welcome to Harvard Chan This Week in Health. I'm Noah Levitt. And I'm Amy Monomiro. Noah, we begin this week with new research showing the dangers of obstructive sleep apnea. That's a condition where a person's sleep is disrupted because their breathing constantly starts and stops. It's estimated that sleep apnea affects more than 20 million Americans and is the most common cause of daytime sleepiness or fatigue. And a new study from the Harvard Chan School finds that sleep apnea is especially dangerous among truck drivers. Researchers found that truckers who had sleep apnea but didn't treat it had a rate of preventable crashes five times higher than that of drivers without sleep apnea. And the potential impact is significant. It's estimated that up to 20% of all large truck crashes are due to drowsy or fatigued driving. We spoke about the new research with the study's senior author, Stefanos Kales, associate professor in the Department of Environmental Health at the Harvard Chan School, and Chief of Occupational Medicine at the Cambridge Health Alliance. Kale says that truck drivers do undergo federally mandated health screenings, but those screenings do not specifically look for sleep apnea, even though it is very common. Somewhere between 20 and 25, maybe even 28 percent of commercial drivers are affected by obstructive sleep apnea, and most of them are untreated. So what our study is really saying is uh, it very, very strongly supports mandating screening for obstructive sleep apnea within the context of these commercial driver examinations. And if a driver is found to be a high risk through the screening process, uh, they should be mandated to undergo a diagnostic test. And if, in fact, that diagnostic test shows that the driver has obstructive sleep apnea, the driver should be mandated to comply with appropriate therapies, which are usually continuous uh, positive airway pressure or other forms of positive airway pressure that keep the the respiratory tract open, the upper airways open during sleep and and prevent these uh, repeated interruptions of sleep by by cessations in breathing. Kales says that the U.S. Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration is currently considering the possibility of mandating sleep apnea screening for truck drivers and requiring treatment for those with a positive diagnosis. The Food and Drug Administration says it will now require new warning labels on certain types of opioid painkillers. It's the latest step by the government to try and ease the opioid abuse epidemic in the U.S., and the changes would apply to so-called immediate-release opioids. These are intended for use every four to six hours and account for 90% of opioid prescriptions. According to the New York Times, the changes will affect 87 brand-name drugs and 141 generics. There is broad support among Americans for other measures to combat opioid painkiller abuse. A recent Stat Harvard Chan poll found that 7 in 10 Americans support guidelines that would advise doctors to limit patients to a three-day supply of painkillers. The CDC is outlining ways that doctors can diagnose and treat Zika virus in children. The new guidance will be published in an upcoming edition of the Journal of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Now, diagnosing Zika in children is particularly difficult because most infants and children with Zika display mild symptoms that may be similar to other common childhood illnesses. Zika virus has now been identified in 37 countries, and 258 people in the U.S. have been diagnosed with the virus. 
When it comes to diagnosing and treating HIV, Botswana is outpacing its peers and many Western nations, including the United States. That's according to new research published this week by the Harvard Chan School. Scientists found that 96% of people in Botswana who were taking antiretroviral drugs had reached viral suppression or low levels of HIV in their blood. That 90% benchmark is significant. In 2014, the United Nations Program on HIV-AIDS proposed new testing and treatment targets for the virus, known as 90-90-90. The goal is that by 2020, 90% of people with HIV will know if they have the virus, 90% of people diagnosed with HIV will be receiving treatment, and that 90% of people receiving treatment will have viral suppression. We spoke with one of the study's authors, Max Essex, the Mary Woodard Lasker Professor of Health Sciences and chair of the Harvard Chan School AIDS Initiative. Essex says the results show that even in countries with limited resources, effective treatment programs can make a significant difference in the fight against HIV. Treatment as prevention has become a common slogan, and it has been recognized that if a large enough fraction of the infected people are treated, then rates of transmission will go down dramatically and eventually the epidemic will stop. I know of of no place in the world that's at 96% as Botswana is. Indeed, most places aren't anywhere near that. Moving forward, Essex says it will be important to improve testing in many places, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, so that countries can accurately gauge the success of treatment and prevention efforts. Tracking police homicides in the U.S. is incredibly difficult, but Harvard Chan researchers say a relatively new national data system may make it easier. We're talking about the National Violent Death Reporting System, which is now in use in 32 states. And in a new study, researchers say the NVDRS is far more accurate than two current systems from the CDC and FBI. The researchers looked at data over a seven-year period from 2005 to 2012, focusing on 16 states that were using the NVDRS at the time. The researchers identified more than 1,500 law enforcement homicides, and NVDRS accurately captured 92% of these, twice the number identified by the FBI system and 71% greater than the CDC system. So why is the NVDRS more effective? Researchers say the existing systems from the CDC and FBI rely on one data source, while the NVDRS is more comprehensive and includes details about each homicide. That's a key difference, according to Kathy Barber of the Harvard Injury Control Research Center and one of the authors of the study. The important part is not necessarily to get every single possible case, but rather to know which are the jurisdictions that are having the greater problem and which are having less of a problem so that because that helps you figure out which policies work better. But if you have some jurisdictions reporting hardly any of their cases and some reporting all, it'll suddenly look like the ones that are reporting all their cases have the worst problem when they might be the ones doing the best on, on preventing these cases. So the, the National Violent Death Reporting System captured many more cases. And the reason it was doing a better job is that Unlike the other two systems, which rely on a single source, NVDRS captures data from multiple sources. So an abstractor in the state is going and collecting data from the death certificate, the coroner or medical examiner's report, and the police report. And that kind of triangulation really, really helps in case capture. President Obama's proposed budget does include funding that would expand the national violent death reporting system to all 50 states.
Finally, this episode, it's spring, and that also means allergy season for many people. So where will people be sniffling and sneezing the most this year? The Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America ranked 100 cities to try and find the most challenging place for seasonal allergies. They ranked the cities on three factors, the pollen score, the rate of allergy medication usage, and the availability of board-certified allergists. And naming the toughest place for allergy sufferers is Jackson, Mississippi followed by Memphis, Tennessee, Syracuse, New York, Louisville, Kentucky, and McAllen, Texas. The least challenging place, Daytona Beach, Florida. And how about Boston? Boston, 77th on the list. Interesting. I'm not sure if I believe it. A good reason to book a trip to Florida. Exactly. If you needed one extra excuse, the allergies won't be too bad this time of year. And if you are affected by allergies, the Asthma and Allergy Foundation recommends that you see your doctor before the allergy season hits full force. That's all for Harvard Chan This Week in Health. I'm Noah Levitt. And I'm Amy Montemiro. Listen to this podcast anytime by visiting our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash harvardpublichealth, or visit hsph.me slash thisweekinhealth to learn how you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. 